0: We've got a God in the heavens who loves us, who protects us, whether or not we even see it. He's always with us. He'll walk with us through it. Title of today's sermon is The Overcoming Christian is Zealous for Christ and Has a Plan. The Overcoming Christian is Zealous for Christ and Has a Plan. We're back in the book of 1 Corinthians today, so if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. It'll be on the screen Let me tell you about a couple of churches who were having some problems with some squirrels. Well, the Presbyterian Church called a meeting to decide what to do about their squirrel infestation. And after much prayer and consideration, they just concluded that the squirrels were predestined to be there and and they should not interfere with God's will. Uh, A northern Baptist church that happened to be in the area was also having trouble with squirrels. And the deacons met and decided to put a water slide on the baptistry and let the squirrels drown themselves. Well, the squirrels liked the slide, and unfortunately, they knew instinctively how to swim, and so twice as many squirrels showed up the following week and soon ended up destroying the church. <clears throat> However, the Southern Baptist Church, they came up with a more creative strategy. They baptized all the squirrels and made them members of the church. Now the squirrels only are seen at Christmas and Easter. <laughs> Uh, we're back in the book of 1 Corinthians today. I know my jokes aren't as good as A.W., but we're back in the book of 1 Corinthians today. And Paul preached the gospel in Corinth in the early 50s during his second missionary journey, and he had a lot of opposition. But he spent 18 months there because God told him to, and he preached the gospel. We're in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24 through 27. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it, and everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty. Thus I fight not as one who meets the air, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. Let's pray this morning. Lord, today and, and every other Sunday when, when I stand behind your pulpit, I, I stand behind it with the fear of you. But today it feels more tangible. God, I, I, I sent your presence in this place. And I just ask that you would touch each and every heart. Where we are hard-hearted, break us.
1: Where we are soft-hearted, till
0: us. Where we need to break things off in our lives, remind us. And God, as we look out over the people that are here, we thank you they're here. And we pray for those that are not here, that are normally here. And we pray for those, Lord, that are not here, that you're calling here. And so, Lord, we call them in from the north, the south, the east, and the west. And we pray for those that are supposed to be sitting next to us. And we say, send them, Lord, and help us to do the work. And we praise you for it in Jesus' mighty name, the strong Son of God and the church said, amen. All right. Be zealous with your witness and have a goal in mind when you do. The true Christian, number one, is zealous in their witness. The true Christian is zealous in their witness. First Corinthians 9, 24, 25 says, Don't you realize that in a race everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize? So run to win. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize. You know, last week we discussed Paul was talking about What it costs to see people saved in the kingdom of God. If you remember, I'm going to go back just a few verses. In verse 19, it says, Even though I am a free man with no master, I have become a slave to all people to bring many to Christ. When I was with the Jews, I lived like a Jew to bring the Jews to Christ. When I was with those who followed the Jewish law, I too lived under that law. And even though I am not subject to the law, I did this so I can bring to Christ those who are under the law. <clears throat> when I am with the Gentiles who do not follow the Jewish law, I too live apart from that law so I can bring them to Christ. But I do not ignore the law of God, no. I obey the law of Christ. When I am with those who are weak, I share their weakness. For I want to bring the weak to Christ. Yes, I try to find common ground with everyone, doing everything I can to save some. I do everything to spread the good news and share in its blessings. This section of scripture that we're looking at today is a continuation of that. It is the illustration of that. This section of scripture is not separate from its context. Too many people see this, uh, what's going on here, as some kind of loss of salvation, and you can't lose your salvation. Salvation is not what is in view here. No, what is in view here is the loss of people's eternal souls due to us, not witnessing. He likens the Christian walk as one that is a race it's about giving up the things that we know we can have such as meat because we talked about that earlier in the book of first corinthians meat sacrifice to idols we he knows we can have that because it's just meat but he says i we can give it up if by giving that thing up will not cause my sister or my brother to sin or the weaker one to stumble it will cause someone to know jesus christ if i can get jesus christ to them to the people To be their personal lord and savior now here he shows that athletes are disciplined and we know that because we watch all sorts of athletic competitions football soccer which is also called football in the rest of the world and all those other things water polo i don't know anybody who watches water polo i don't know i don't even know if it's a real sport now so now i'm gonna get emails online yeah it's a real sport and so and uh, But he likens the Christian walk as a race. Here he shows that athletes are disciplined and they make sacrifice and they make their bodies do the will of their mind. And they do it all for a crown that is made of, made of some leaves. See, in this race, at this time, the crown was a bunch of leaves they put together. But we give up things as Christians, and we are disciplined in our lives against sin because we seek to see the lost saved. Also, what's in view here is loss of rewards. You see, we'll be given reward in heaven for how we handle the gospel. We will be given crowns, and one day, we will throw them at the feet of Jesus For he alone is worthy of all our worship and all our reward and all praise. We do life as one whose main focus is nothing but seeing people saved, to come to know him. The question is, is that your main focus? If it's not, then there's something wrong. You need to get right with him. First, we know that not not everyone who runs a race can win that race. We're told that in this scripture. We're told to run as one who can win, though. We know that there will be those who say that they're Christians, but there really aren't. Because if they had been, they would have never left the faith. 1 John 2.19 says, These people left our churches, but they never really belonged with us. Otherwise, they would have stayed with us. And when they left, it proved that they did not belong with us. If you are born again of the Spirit of God, Come on in, kids. Miss Amanda's in the back. If you are born again of the Spirit of God, then you know that you do good works not to earn a place in heaven, but of a heart that has been changed. Our lives are supposed to have been changed when we come to Christ. We're not supposed to be the same. Our testimony simply should be, I was one way. I met Jesus and it changed my life and now I'm another way. I am no longer that person. I have been changed. I have been a new heart. I am a part of the new covenant in Christ. Jeremiah 31, 33 says, But this is the new covenant I will make with the people of Israel. After those days, says the Lord, I will put my instructions deep within them and I will write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they will be my people, and they will not need to teach their neighbors, nor will they need to teach their relatives, saying, you should know the Lord for everyone. From the least to the greatest will know me already, says the Lord, and I will forgive their wickedness, and I will never again remember. Their sins. We, as Christians, when we are saved, we are supposed to be zealous for the things of God and for the salvation of other people's souls. Folks, that was fulfilled. That prophecy was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. So why are we not living like we should? Why are we not zealous for the things of God? Why are we not zealous for spreading the gospel? Well, Pastor, I don't know how to spread the gospel. When's the last time you read your Bible? If you're in this word, it'll, you, you're going to find out how to spread the gospel. You're going to be excited about it. Let me tell you something. Let me tell you a little story. I know it's a weird story, but you're going to like it. I have a very thick beard, and I used to use these, these weird triple razors that you can buy, and they were expensive. I use one, and it's done. That's how thick my beard is, and I, I searched online for the best razor out there, and somebody said, why aren't you using safety razors? I said, what are you talking about? A double-edged safety razor? I said, with one blade? That'll, that'll never work. He said, not if you buy Japanese steel. I said, okay, I'll give it a, give it a try. It's a Featherlight razor. And let me tell you, I was so impressed. No more no more, you know, bumps and stuff, redness, none of that. Man, I was the apologist for Japanese we get excited about things, all sorts of things. My football team made it. And you'll talk about that, but you won't talk about Jesus. Mm. There's a problem. There's a problem. Jesus is life. Jesus is truth. Jesus is in all, through all, and for all. You need Jesus. Titus 2.14 says, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. Ephesians 2.10 says, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus, so we can do the things, the good things he planned for us long ago. He planned for us to do good works because we're saved, not to earn salvation. James 2.17 says, So you see, faith by itself isn't enough unless it produces good deeds. It is dead and it is useless. I could tell you all day long that I'm a refrigerator. It don't mean I'm a refrigerator. But if you plug me in and I get cold and I got stuff inside that you can get out and eat, that makes me a refrigerator. Please don't try to plug me into the electric. That'll hurt. If you say you have faith, but nothing is shown in your life, no good works, no fruit, then your so-called faith is useless. It's not real. You're not really saved. I know that's a hard thing to, to come to grips with, but it's true. There are churches all across this world, this nation, this state, in Lake County and Mineola that are filled with people sitting in a pew who show up for service but do nothing for God's kingdom. They don't witness, they don't volunteer, and they do nothing but take up space on a pew. And if you were to ask any of them in the community if they're saved, people would go, I have no idea, or they'd go, no, they're not, not by the way they act. But they go to church every Sunday. They have no desire to do anything else either. They show up, they paid their weekly news, as it were, and they went home, sat in their lazy boy, and that was the end of it for the rest of the week. They think they have faith, but really they're dead and they're dying in their sins. They'll close their eyes one day and wake up in hell because they're self-deceived. They think they know, but they do not know. Matthew 7.21 says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. On Judgment Day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name. We cast out demons in your name and performed many miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. I beg you you to look inside today and make sure that you have the insides of a believer that your heart has been changed, that your life has been changed, that you have been born again before it's too late. Second, we know that unlike the athletes of this world and the Olympic Games and other endeavors who work hard and deny themselves things to win something that is perishable, that we should be all the more zealous towards spreading the good news and denying what we want for what God wants. We do it for an eternal purpose and a prize. But that will not perish, but will last for all eternity. The crown he gives is forever. Not for a moment, not for a year, not for a second. But forever. 2 Timothy 4.8 says, And now the prize awaits me, the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. And the prize is not just for me, but for all who eagerly look forward to his appearing. 1 Peter 5, 4 says, And when the great shepherd appears, you will receive a crown of never-ending glory and honor. Christians endure because we have been saved. We have had that born-again experience. We've been made new. We've been saved. We've been regenerated. We have been cleansed. Let me tell you something. We are being saved as well. God is cleansing us day by day in a process called sanctification. I can't clean up myself, but the Holy Spirit can do it. Day by day to help us put sin away from us and live our lives for him in a good witness. And you know what? We look forward to the day that we will be saved that when we get that resurrected body on his return, we will receive the eternal glory of Jesus Christ. I have been saved, I am being saved, and I will be saved from the uttermost. Romans 2, seven says, He will give eternal life to those who keep on doing good, seeking after the glory and honor and immortality that God offers. Second Timothy 2.10 says, So I am willing to endure anything, if it will bring salvation and eternal glory in Christ Jesus to those God has chosen. Folks, are you willing today to endure all hardships to bring salvation and eternal glory in Christ Jesus to those God has chosen? Many a minister, many a missionary has said, God, I'll serve you. Just don't send me to Africa. God, I'll serve you, but not Africa. And let me tell you, Nine times out of ten, they end up in Africa. I told God once, Lord, I thank you that you called me as a preacher. And I thank you, Lord, that I'm no longer a preacher, because that's where I'm at in my life. And I thank you, Lord, you'll never call me back to preaching. And then the Lord said, Go preach. Matthew 25:23 says, The Master said, Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. This is what we want, folks, to please our Master, to please our Lord on the day of His coming, on the day that we enter eternity. It's up to you who are born again. Will you hear, Well done, my good and faithful servant. Or will you hear, Well, <clears throat> you're done. Because you have an appointment with eternity. And you can't change it. It could be now, it could be later. Number two, as we are zealous for the cross, as we are zealous in our witness, have a goal in mind and work the goal. Work toward it in Christ. 1 Corinthians 9:26 says, So I run with purpose in every step. I'm not just shadow boxing. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. When Paul went and preached the good news about Jesus Christ, he didn't just go to one city and then backtrack and then go back to that city and then go to another city. No, he had a plan in mind, and he knew what his goal was, and he always stuck to it. Until the Lord messed his world up, which God can do. He didn't just say, hey, Ephesus looks good today, and then go. He thought it out. What is between here and there? What is every step in between where I can spread the good news of, the, of Christ? Plan it out. Now, will your plan always work out the way you planned it? No. But it will always work out the way God has planned it. Yes. But does that mean we shouldn't have a plan? No. Because if you pray beforehand, God will give you most of the plan. And we're going to talk about some of Paul's plan that got wrecked. When Paul was shipwrecked, he wasn't afraid because he had his trust in God. Paul had been falsely accused before Rome, and as a Roman citizen, he appealed to Caesar. And so as a prisoner, he's being sent to Rome under guard. He tells them not to go on because they're on a boat. Not to go on, because they're entering the wintertime, and they go ahead anyway, and they encounter an awful set of circumstances. They were in a storm that battered the ship for 14 days. Folks, you thought the hurricane was bad. Imagine being in that for 14 days on a wooden ship. No thank you. Acts 27:21. no one had eaten for a long time, and finally Paul called the crew together and said, Man, you should have listened to me in the first place and not left Crete. Wow, that is a man who's got some boldness. He is a prisoner, and he's talking to the people who have him under, under control, who have him chained, and he says, you should have listened to me first place. Man, that's belligerent. I like Paul. He was belligerent. He said, you, should have left. you shouldn't have left in the first place. You would have avoided all this damage and loss. But take courage. First of all, if I'm the centurion, I'm going, (laughs) I got a place for you in the hold. And then he goes, but take courage. Okay, now you got my attention. None of you will lose your lives, even though the ship will go down. For last night, an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me. And he said, don't be afraid, Paul. For you will surely stand trial before Caesar. What's more, God in his goodness has granted safety to everyone sailing with you. So take courage, for I believe God. It will be just as he said, but we will be shipwrecked on an island. Jump a few verses, go down to verse 33. Just as day was dawning, Paul urged everyone to eat. He said, you have been so worried that you haven't touched food for two weeks. Please eat something now for your own good, for not a hair of your heads will perish. Then he took some bread, gave thanks to God before them all, and broke off a piece and ate it. And then everyone was encouraged and began to eat, all 276 of us who were on board. 276 lives in our minds when we read this story we're thinking five ten people but really it's 276 he had promised that not a single one in this gale of wind and storm and rain would perish and let me tell you something not everyone who had a swim Ooh, he better he better have some some money where his mouth is <laughs> Down to verse 42, the soldiers wanted to kill the prisoners to make sure they didn't swim ashore and escape. But the commanding officer wanted to spare Paul.
1: So he didn't let them carry out their plan. Oh, they were going to kill all the prisoners. But Paul but God had said not a single one would perish. And so God used one man to keep them all alive. God used one man to make sure Paul made it to appear before Caesar. God can use one person in here today to accomplish his will. Will you be that person? But the commanding officer wanted to spare Paul, so he didn't let them carry out their plan. And then he ordered all who could swim to jump overboard. Um, Okay. Sure, why not? (laughs) Middle of a storm, (laughs) I'll jump overboard. But he ordered them to jump overboard first and make for land. And the others held on to planks or debris from the broken up ship. So everyone escaped safely to the shore. Trust me, shipwreck was not Paul's original plan. He didn't say, God has told me to appeal to Caesar, to go to Rome before Caesar and his house. And on my way there, I'm going to get shipwrecked. That's not what Paul said. But he had a goal in mind, and he walked the goal. And when a problem came up, God said, I got that handled. Just chill out. Shipwreck was not a part of God's plan, but all 276 people were saved from that storm. Now that's a fantastic witness, don't you think? There was no miracles at that point. It was just information from God to Paul via an angel. Just information. And we got the Bible. You got the information. You've got it from God. What are you going to do with it? Through Paul's witness to the people on the island, God even worked a massive miracle there. Let's look at that, 28 verse 1. Once we were safe on shore, we learned that we were on the island of Malta. And the people of the island were very kind to us. It was cold and rainy, and so they built a fire on the shore to welcome us. Has any of y'all ever seen that big old fire that, I think think it's Texas A&M, used to do every year? Huge fire. That's the kind of fire we're talking about here, because there's 276 people. Okay? So he builds a fire on the shore, or they do. And as Paul gathered an armful of sticks and was laying them on the fire, a poisonous snake driven out by the heat bit him on the hand. And the people of the island saw it hanging from his hand and said to each other, A murderer, no doubt, though he escaped the sea, justice will not permit him to live. Folks... If you're following Jesus, people are going to say things about you because it don't look right to them. They're going to say, like, you must be this, you must be that, but guess what? You're following Jesus. God will prove them wrong. The people of the island saw it hanging. But Paul shook off the snake into the fire, and he was unharmed. And the people waited for him to swell up or suddenly drop dead. How could they know to wait for that? They'd seen it before. They know this snake. They live on that island. But when they had waited a long time and saw that he wasn't harmed, they changed their minds and decided he was a god. Of course, he wasn't. (laughs) That's how poisonous that snake was. Everybody who got bit died. Near the shore, he says, near the shore where we landed was an estate belonging to Publius, the chief official of the island. And he welcomed us and treated us kindly for three days. And as it happened, Publius's father was ill with fever and dysentery. Back then, you didn't come back from that. Paul went in and prayed for him. And laying his hands on him, he healed him. <laughs> God did a miracle. Then all the other sick people on the island came and were healed. And as a result, we were showered with honors. And when the time came to sail, people supplied us with everything we would need For the trip, how many do you think came to Christ because Paul was shipwrecked on an island? How many? How many people can you see come to Christ because your plan didn't go exactly as you thought it should? Lord, I thought you called me to this. Yep. And you're going to have problems. How are you going to handle it? How many came to Christ? You see, he had a goal. God told him he would be arrested and that he would go to Rome. And that was Paul's goal in his mind. But on the way, he was shipwrecked. And did he stop working for God? Did he say, oh, woe is me? No. Guess what he was doing? He was gathering firewood. And for the fire. And he was bit by a poisonous snake. And did he freak out? Oh, I'm going to die. No. He just shook it off into the fire. Let me tell you something. If you got some, some kind of critter hanging off your hand that good that it's not letting go, shaking that off ain't going to feel so good. All right? It's going to be hard. You're going to get through it, though, because you got the power of God on your side. That was Paul's goal in his mind. No, he was gathering that firewood, and he was bit. He shook it off. He went back to work. Then what's he do? He starts praying for people, laying hands on people. The sick and everyone on that island got a touch from God. They were healed. Let me tell you something, O Christian who is running the race. Not everyone is going to be happy with you. Not every idea you have is going to be the right one either. Do you know what happens
0: when you put five Christians that are Southern Baptists in a room and give them a goal? You're going to get 550 ways to reach that goal.
1: And if nobody likes any of them, they're going to form a committee. And it's going to drag on forever. Don't
0: get mad when your plan doesn't work out. Well, I plan to paint that wall green. And you don't like my green wall. So I'm going to take my marbles and I'm going to go home and find me a different church to worship at.
1: Folks, I love you, but I'm not painting
0: the wall neon green. I think most people in here would say neon green is not a good idea. You'd be surprised. Don't pick up your marbles. Don't go home. Just serve God. Maybe listen to someone else's plan for a change. Maybe there's a work. Maybe I'm out. But in all things, you better be seeking God for His wisdom. As you make plans, as you enact plans, and as you change plans when they don't work. You see, sometimes plans don't work out the way you think they're going to work out. Paul was called to Caesar and his house. And he spent years there before he ever got to Caesar. And you know what happened to him? He was martyred there. Do you really think that his plan in the beginning was to be martyred? Yet, yeah, no, he knew it was a possibility, but I don't think it was his plan. I wouldn't be my plan. I'd be like, ah, the Lord's going to save Caesar. Yeah, no, Caesar cut off your head. <laughs> but that was God's plan. And sometimes the plans that we think are from God don't really work the way we think they're going to work, but they're still God's plan. It is not God's, hey, I'm about to blow your mind, you ready? It is not God's plan that you be healthy and wealthy and wise all the time. Sometimes that's just not what God wants. You're going to fail, and he's going to be there to pick you up. Things are not going to work out all the time, and he's going to be there to pick you up. Air conditioners are going to fail over and over and over again, and you're going to look up, and you're going to go, Jesus, what are you doing? But his plan says, hey, you're here to have people to help worship, to help serve me, and help see people say." That's right. God is in all things. Lord, I got into an accident. My back is killing me. Uh Uh-huh. God's still with you. He didn't forget about you. Man, for so many years I was told, Brother Joe, you're not healed from type 1 diabetes because well, you don't have enough faith. And then I looked at Paul and it said, hey, I got a thorn in the flesh I can't get rid of. And most people think it was his eyes. Because in one of the letters he says, don't you see how big I write the letters with my own hand? Folks, he'd seen many people healed, many people saved, many people come to Christ, and yet he had a problem. And Jesus said, my grace is sufficient for you. That goes against them little. That goes against them little magnets you get and put on your fridge. You know they say, "I know the plans I have for you," says the Lord. Yeah, <laughs> it's to be shipwrecked, it's to get bit by a snake that's poisonous, it's to get your head cut off in front of Caesar.
1: Well, praise the Lord.
0: Nobody puts that on their fridge. <laughs> as you make plans and as you enact plans, don't forget we serve the master planner sometimes between reaching your lost neighbor down the street and you your car may break down trust me i have been there don't get all upset don't fuss and scream and call AAA and fuss at them and while you wait do nothing but no let me tell you something if your car broke down in front of my house all right which has happened where i live in paisley it's a, it's a dirt road and people break down all the time okay if your car breaks down in front of my house and you're cussing and you're screaming and you're on the phone screaming, I ain't going out to talk to you. I don't know if you got a gun or not. It's Paisley, man. Well, once I calm down, you might be able to, but <laughs> yeah, so. So instead of doing that, how about you calmly do what you've got to do and while you're waiting on AAA, how about you walk over to the neighbor's house that's there and say, hey, I broke down. Do you know Jesus? Hmm. Well, I never thought about that. Mm. Romans eight twenty eight 28 says this, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. For God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become like his son, so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And having chosen them, he called them to come to him. And having called them, he gave them right standing with himself. And having given them right standing, he gave them his glory. Oh, we love this passage, especially verse 28. I think work together for the good. Oh, yeah. That isn't what it says, though. It says to those who, number one, love God, so who are saved, and number two, are called according to his purpose for them. I.e., you're not out there doing sin and then going, I'm being punished. No, that's called consequence for sin. When you're being punished for Jesus, that's called martyrdom, basically. That's, that's, called, that's called, you know, saying, I love Jesus. Go ahead, whip me, meet me, persecute me, undue punishment, all problems that you, didn't, that you didn't cause in your sinfulness, all those who are called and working for God's good, not their own. Not their own. I can promise you that if you are saved and you are following God, I, I can promise you this, it will all work out for your good. What is your good? well that's where we get disagreements just remember that good for most of the apostles was that they should be martyred and go home to be with jesus the only one who wasn't was john but guess what he faced his trials he got sent to the island of patmos and there he had a most wonderful vision we call it the book of Revelation. Jesus said, I have told you, in John sixteen thirty three. I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. He has overcome the world. You know, I love that. All things work out together for the good. You are right for God's good for God's good, and your flesh ain't going to like it, nine times out of ten, and and you're going to have sorrows, and you're going to have heartbreak, and you're going to have trials, and you're going to have problems, but Jesus said he'll walk with you through it. And he said not only that, be of good cheer, be happy, because he's overcome the world. There are days I don't feel like being of good cheer. There are days I don't feel like I'm like it's working out for God's good. But then there are days when God gets a hold of you and He doesn't let go. And no matter what's going on around about you, you can say, Hey, I got the joy of the Lord. The world didn't give it. World can't take it away. But I got God's joy. How about you today, as ladies come? How about you? If you Know that you know that you know that when you close your eyes, you will wake up in heaven, praise the Lord. But if you don't, today is your day of salvation. He said, behold, I stand at the door and knock And any man who hears my voice and comes, I, opens the door, I will come in and sup with him. He said, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God in Romans 3.23, but he said in 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, his son. How do we get it? Romans 10, 13. All who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And that's not some mystical prayer. That's everything that's within you saying, Jesus, I need you. I want you. I give it all up for you. That's why he died on the Roman cross. He didn't deserve it. We deserve it. He didn't deserve it. But he died for your sins and my sins that we could be with him in everlasting glory.
1: If that's you in here today or on
0: on the internet or or listening by audio, stop what you're doing and say, Jesus, I need you. But if you have been walking with Jesus and you're saved, but you can't remember the last time that you purposely went out and said, I'm going to talk to somebody about Jesus today, then you need to repent. Because that's what we're called to do. That is the Great Commission. If people can look at you in your life outside these walls and they can say, I don't know if he's a Christian or they definitely ain't no Christian, then you've got a problem. You need to repent. You need to say, Jesus, I have messed up. Forgive me. Because no matter how far you've walked away from him, it takes one turn. And he wipes all that away. If that's you today, make an altar in your heart wherever you're at and repent before God. If you'd like to join this church by letter, by statement, by baptism, we're up here for that. If you'd like special prayer, we're up here for that too. If you are in this building and you want me to pray with you to receive Christ, I can introduce you to him. But I can't save you. Only he can. I'll pray with you to do that too. As the ladies sing... The invitation song.